Brian, are you also reading Bullies and Saints by John Dixon? It is traveling with me. Ah, it is traveling. It's traveling with. Fantastic. Uh, my name is Sarah Yardley. I live in Wadebridge, Cornwall. Oh, hi, guys. Hi, Sean. These are my people. They're from Wadebridge, and uh, I'm delighted that you guys are here for a Hope is Here panel. Excellent job, Shanti. Um, we haven't been to the films very much, but I would actually have to be with Sam. The last great film that I saw was A Quiet Place 2, mostly because it was the first film I've seen in theaters in maybe a year, um, but that was a, an edge-of-my-seat thriller. And I'll give a shout out for a great book, A War of Loves by David Bennett. It was not the last great book I read, but it is the book I give away most often. Today's panel is on the topic of hope is here, and particularly what it means in our own lives to know hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And I thought in order to set it up, I'm just gonna ask each of the individuals here who come from different backgrounds, different areas, different perspectives, to just speak for a few minutes on what it means for us to know hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And then we are gonna open it up for conversation. And um, I'd particularly appreciate if you ask Sam some really difficult questions, because he loves getting hard questions on panels. Right, Sam? Only because I'm un unembarrassed about saying I don't know, so yeah. <laughs> Um, we're hoping to have some interesting conversations. So feel free, as you're sitting, to think about some questions that you might want to ask from our panel and our contributors. And I'm going to actually, again, just do the same. Ephraim, will you lead us off? Just speak to us for a few minutes about what it means for you to know hope in Jesus Christ, and we'll go around again. So I think there are obviously a lot of ways in which I could attempt to answer the question. There are a lot of different layers of relevance um, as it relates to having the hope of Jesus Christ, knowing the hope of Jesus Christ, living the hope of Jesus Christ. And so on, there's one level where personally, just as we've all experienced the, the pandemic and all of the restrictions and everything that's happened, and also the, the, the social um, I guess, um, moments, I'm trying to find, the, you know, the death of George Floyd, um, the, the, the murder of uh, Sarah, Sarah Everard, the, like, there's been these moments during this season which feel like they've been amplified all the more because we've been in our homes and less distracted. Um, it, it causes me to kind of consider, wow, there's, there's a lot to the question. Um, but without being too simplistic, I genuinely believe that Jesus is the ultimate hope. Because when I look at myself and my own life, when I look at church life, when I look at trying to recover from the pandemic, when I look at the issues that are going on in society on the different levels, and in all of these things, there can be a real inclination to feel hopeless and yet Jesus is the ultimate hope he is the ultimate resolution to everything and that's not a kind of pie in the sky and the by and by type of that's, I don't live like that there's a sense in which Jesus is with me in the nitty gritty and in that, 
I can not only expect to have, be empowered by his presence and rejuvenated by his spirit as I feel weary and depleted in, in facing these moments and in experiences of life. I can also have hope for progress, even when it feels like, you know, I was speaking to someone earlier about the issues of, of race and ethnicity and the challenges in our society and the challenges in the church of trying to navigate the, the issues. And Jesus causes me not to yield to the temptation to feel like this is hopeless. And so when I say that Jesus is the ultimate hope, he is, to, to quote Bishop Philip, the better beyond in all situations. And for me, that's very real, personally. And so um, that is life. That hope is energy. That hope is resilience. That hope is fortitude. That hope is hope. You know, it's real. So, I guess. That'll preach. <laughs> I've been a Christian a, a long time. And, but I think back to before I was a Christian. And I, I think, like, thinking in the context of the pandemic. I really have no idea how I would have navigated the pandemic in, with the mindset that I previously had. And I think for me, probably one of the, the strongest aspects of coming to faith in Jesus was to suddenly realize that everything had a purpose. I never thought in those terms prior to that. I didn't I didn't know even what my own purpose was. And, and so, you know, that's been an anchor throughout my entire life. But as the pandemic hit, for example, I, I had this moment where I had this deep sense that God had a purpose in this pandemic and that I was to rest in that and not to fight against it, not to try to figure it out necessarily, but just to simply embrace what came because through this process, God was gonna do something. He was gonna do something in me. He's gonna do something in our congregation. He was gonna do something in the church. He's going to do something in the world. And so, so that the hope, or as Ephraim said earlier, um, you know, the true biblical definition of hope is more like the certainty, the certainty that God had a purpose for this, has a purpose for this, uh, that has helped me to live in relative peace throughout the duration of the pandemic. Uh, now, the pandemic has not affected me physically. Uh, no one in my family was touched by, uh, by the coronavirus until yesterday. I got a text 
that my son-in-law um, is down with COVID. So he's the first family member. He's the only family member that didn't get vaccinated. And so I don't know what that means, but um, uh, so he, he's, he's down with the coronavirus. But you know, the, the physical aspects of it, the disease element, obviously that's what it is. Um, that didn't so much affect me directly, but what did affect me directly was the, uh, the financial or economic component of it. So I pastor a large church, which is part of a, you know, really a large organization with hundreds of employees. And we suddenly had uh, a pretty severe economic situation on our hands. How do you navigate that? How do you navigate that in regard to the lives of people that you are responsible for? So I had plenty of opportunities to be stressed out plenty of opportunities to be worried, plenty of opportunities to be filled with anxiety. But because I had that, that deep sense of conviction from the Lord initially that He was in the whole thing, it really helped me to have peace and to, and to hope for the best and to know whatever decisions had to be made, um, that it was going to be okay. Because God was behind the whole thing. And so that, that's been a real, you know, kind of immediate, uh, there's plenty of other areas in my life over many years that I could talk about hope, you know, the hope that comes through the gospel and so forth. But that's been more of an immediate um, hope experience for me. Love the question. And in terms of what does hope mean to me in, in Christ, I think it, it made me go back to thinking about a childhood that was categorized for me as hopeless and filled with hopelessness. Um, early childhood, a lot of physical trauma, and through school, uh, bullying, hospitalized on multiple occasions, and got to the stage when I was about 13, just nearly 14, where I was contemplating whether the world would be better off without me and whether I would be happier not going through till tomorrow. Just wanted that, that pain to end. And in the midst of that, reached out and asked the question, if God is real, it should change my life. But if he's not, I'll just give up now. And it was like, do you go all in for a hope that's worth living for, or do you not? And in that place, it was on a summer gathering through, through like just in a, in a random place in some old school hall, and somebody shared with me who Jesus was for me. And I remember reaching out in my heart, God, if you are there, if you are real, I need you. And I can honestly say I met Christ in that dingy, dirty school hall um, when I was about 14. And the first thing really that came to me was the sense that I love you and this phrase as clear as day, I want you to be alive. That God wanted me to live and had a purpose for me. But 
it wasn't what I was going to do or achieve for him. It's just that God loved me and being alive was important to him, that I was there for his pleasure. And that began, I suppose, that seed of hope that comes when you ask Jesus into a hopeless situation. And I've been forced to revisit this again in the last two to three years. Um, various other things went on and some really nasty kind of complex PTSD came back to me from my childhood and from my teenage days. And I have found myself able to rest in just the very simple thing that God is there and that he loves me. And everything else is secondary, that my hope is not in what I will achieve for God or my intellect or my prowess or any of those other things, but that, that Jesus has hope in me. And that's what came to mind as you asked that question today. Thank you. Um, for me, this past uh, year, I guess, has been the most difficult year of my life. Um, nearly a year ago, um, the, the person who led the ministry that I've worked for for 23 years was unveiled as a sexual predator, Rabbi Zacharias. For those of you who don't know, a, a great apologist and someone who'd kind of traveled the world speaking and preaching. And um, I was also going through a period of having tests for cancer as well and supporting Frog through complex PTSD, trying to continue uh, my own writing and speaking ministry online, trying to keep the fridge full with three hungry boys <laughs> and, you know, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. I also went through um, a really traumatic bullying experience, which could be categorized as psychological and spiritual abuse. And cumulatively, um, those things nearly broke me. I would have said before that that I was quite a strong person and that you know I really thrived on challenge. I was somebody who was you know, working and had children and I was traveling and I was leading a team of lots of people. I really did come um, close to completely breaking down. And in that place of darkness, in that place of experience, re experiencing really anxiety in a very intense way that I had never experienced before, um, I also experienced the unique hope that only Jesus can offer. And it's quite hard to put into words how that happened. I, I have also had amazing therapy and help um, and counseling and all of that. But in, undeniably, the person of Jesus has, he's been close to me and he's loved me and he's shown me that my life isn't actually predominantly about what I can achieve for him or for his kingdom. Um, those things can be good and can be wonderful and fulfilling, but there's something deeper and more profound in a closeness and relationship with him and a trust in him that when leaders fall, when institutions collapse, when the church disappoints us, God's love never fails. Amen. Because Jesus is, is, is real, because he's alive. Wow. Um, 
similar-ish to Amy, because we were both in the same organization, and um, it's certainly been the most stressful uh, experience I've ever had. Um, and so I feel like my year has been dominated by seeing some very significant failings of Christian leadership, um, actually on both sides of, of the Atlantic, um, in, in different spheres and different areas. And it, it's been exhausting, it's been stressful, um, very similar to, to Amy, really feeling God brought me to the end of my tether. I was in hospital with stress um, by the end of January. Um, and it's still having lots of ongoing sort of physical effects that will be with me for some time, I think. But at the same time, the thing I kept coming back to, similar to what Amy just said, is <laughs> we will never discover a hidden, nasty side to Jesus. We sometimes do with one another. There's, there's always that slight possibility. Um, but there's, there's no hidden, ugly side to Jesus. And although we, we've seen some of the, the sort of worst of church politics and Christian leadership over the last year or so, the other thing that gives me hope is, is Jesus says, I will build my church. Um, there's no asterisk with kind of certain terms and conditions associated with that. He will build his church. Um, the other verse I keep coming back to is in Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That, that increase will not be uniformly spread, but Jesus' purposes are never going backwards. And that gives me hope, because even when we're making a catastrophic mess of things, <laughs> um, Jesus is still able to take that and bend it around and bring good from it. So he is always going to win. Um, that doesn't lessen the heartache, it doesn't lessen the tragedy of the things that go wrong, but it's certainly given me just wonderful hope that however significant and pervasive and far-reaching is the mess, the grace is going to go further because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So with the, with the whole thing with, with Ravi Zacharias, that has gone, that sin and that failing has had a global impact, but that only means that the grace of Jesus will go further. So I can't not be optimistic if that's the case. It's beautiful. We're going to open up the microphone for some questions, and so if you'll think about whether or not there's any that you would like to ask, and I'll just share very briefly. How many would relate to this being perhaps the hardest year of your life? Are there, are there others who would relate to the same? I think that for some it's been difficult and for some it's been beautiful and some, something in between. But I think for myself today, the reality of hope being here in Jesus Christ has made me more confident than I've ever been before in the gospel message because almost anything else I would have pinned my hopes on has fallen or failed. I've lost a lot of friends, I've lost a lot of gathered spaces. I've experienced more anxiety and loneliness than any other period of my life. And alongside that 
it's made me more confident than I have ever been before in who Jesus Christ is. Because outside of him, I can see and find no other hope. And so I, I already was a fairly bold evangelist in our town. Shanti, does everyone in our town know that I love Jesus? Do you know that I love Jesus? Yeah. Now I sometimes yell at the street vendors as I run past. I love Jesus and I hope he's known to you. Like I was already a pretty weird evangelist and now I'm like pretty next level weird. Um, so I think knowing that hope is here has made me more bold because I've got no other good news to share other than that. Are there any who would like to ask a question of the exemplary men and women who are here on the stage who have shared so honestly and vulnerably with us? Is there anything that you would like to ask about what it has meant to find, to seek, or to choose hope? Or really any other questions? I'm just going to open up the floor. And I'm going to ask David Bennett to seat us if nobody else does. David, think for a second going to call on you. Guys, look at David Bennett. He's like a beacon of red joy in the midst of a sea of many colors. David, will you seat us with a question? Okay, fantastic. James, David would like to ask us a question. He's thinking about it deeply. It, it is really helpful in a question-answer time if there are questions. It, it makes it much more enjoyable. So. Brian, thank you for this. Yes, amen. Think, so please, I, I ask away. I think probably people are a bit stunned, after, which I understand. Um, uh, but I think the question that I really wanted to ask is when it feels like the Lord has allowed his church to be crushed in this season, to go through crushing. Um, and you've all mentioned in different ways when that's come, my question is, what did you turn to when you were really in that moment where it's just like, where is hope? And you're kind of grasping around in the dark. What did you grab? Like, what, what, what did God put in your hand? Or what was the thing he helped you out of that place with? Because I think we all feel a bit like we've had a moment in the dark and everything. And like, how did you come back to the center of Jesus? What helped you in that moment? Thanks, David. That's a really powerful question. Um, one of the challenges for me, I think, was that I had also experienced quite severe gaslighting in this situation. It was quite a disorientating time. And, um, you know, there was a group of us that were, were trying to get a, a a thorough investigation of, of what had gone on, but actually we didn't quite know what had gone on. And one was being sort of second-guessed and um, caused to really doubt your own sort of instincts and feelings and thoughts and attitudes and motives. And one of the things that I found most helpful was meditating on the Psalms. I was reading a book on... Um, Bonhoeffer's meditations on the Psalms and I, I went through that um, daily and I found that you know often as Christians we can go through phases of sort of reading massive chunks of, the, of scripture 
but for me, in this season, reading and really chewing on small sections and actually kind of learning them and meditating them and calling then those phrases to mind when anxiety sort of flooded in, that was really, that was a, a really powerful thing. And then the second thing was that I found um, prayer other than just quite desperate cries to God. I found um, that I was lacking a fluency in personal prayer. So I was just in such a dark place that one could kind of say one or two sentences and then just feel a lot to God, but not really fluently pray. And I remembered out of the sort of dark reaches of my something that someone had said years before was that you know, C.S. Lewis, who, as Christian apologists and teachers, you know, there must never be a sermon without mentioning C.S. <laughs> Lewis. You know, it just must not happen. But apparently, he didn't really pray from the heart. He prayed um, from the prayer book. And so, more recently as well, I've gone back to it, but I am actually a vicar's daughter. My dad's a sort of real stalwart evangelical, so there wasn't a great deal of liturgy growing up. And Frog is actually a vicar as well, so I'm a vicar's wife. But I am really the least likely person to pick up a book of Anglican collects. <laughs> but actually, I found that really well written and deeply considered prayers of the church and of, of men and women who've who've lived for God and gone through hard times, that their prayers carried me through that season. And it was just very, very profound because I, I didn't have words. I, I, I lost that fluency in personal prayer, um, but I was still able to pray. So Psalms and, and, and prayers. Um, one thing I loved was um meeting in a forest with a few friends, which we did for six months every Sunday, outside, no matter what the weather, just so that we were still allowed to do it, uh, including in January and other times like that. And it kind of stripped everything away, and we just had literally the sky above us, sometimes pouring with rain, um, a couple of simple songs, and a fire, and a Bible, and we walked through Genesis every single week, a little bit, a little bit, the story of Abraham wandering around outdoors, finding God. And I think when everything else was stripped away, genuinely, we found ourselves finding God as in the same way. So yeah, bring it back to the trees. Yeah, exactly. So hence, I think just for, for, for us who have come to be used to finding God in buildings, and in our culture, particularly because of bad weather in, in Northern Europe and, and America, we define our, our place where we meet with God around buildings. When we, well, that was stripped away. Amazing to find, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a huge amount of people meeting with God did not happen indoors. It happened outdoors. And in fact, if you read through Jesus' ministry, most of his indoor times didn't go so well. Um, <laughs> There was like him in Nazareth in a synagogue, him in various people's houses. It was not, it didn't go so well for him indoors. So um, yeah, so that was really great. A few friends, a fire in a forest with the Bible. That, that, that got me through 
God in the open field, that lovely, you know, that head to the heart song, we found God in the open field, so. Thanks. Hence the outdoor stage. Prophetic word Outdoor from my brother, Ephraim My brother has just given God the word of vision. confirmation right here. I've never heard a theology of indoor spaces, but I will now explore that as a reflection at some later point in time. I, we're going to have a moment later. Uh, one or two more questions. Liam Hathaway, maybe. Nope, not Liam Hathaway. The gentleman actually raising his hand. <laughs> whilst, whilst you're making your way over there, James, I had a, a brief addition, um, which... Please. I thought might be a little contrasting. So during the course of 2019, I had a sabbatical. Um, our church run an independent school for secondary age teenagers who were at risk of exclusion from mainstream. And one of our pupils was killed at the end of 2018. And that kind of just sent me under. And so um, two things that really helped me during my sabbatical, um, one was, um, therapy sessions with a Christian um, counselor, and swimming. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really helped to just, it helped me to more ably meet with the Lord at a time when it was, yeah. And, and I'll just echo, and, and I know that this would be true of a number of us, that combination of therapy, counseling, pastoral care, but also something really active paired with it I think that there's things that are deep in our minds and hearts that God often is working out. But then uh, I ended up walking 482 miles during my sabbatical of the Cornish coast and then accidentally climbing Kilimanjaro. And those like two combinations together of the things in my heart and then like outworking it in my body um, were a beautiful combo. But I've now hijacked and we have a real question that I haven't forced David Bennett to ask us. So this is a big moment for us panel. Hello. Um, yeah, so thanks for this opportunity. So imagine that you're um, standing at a bus stop. Um, you've got two minutes before the bus comes. And the guy next to you, you've just had some um, conversation, and he's just said, um, so why should I be a Christian? What, what's, what's Christianity all about? What's in it for me? Why should I do it? And you've got two minutes to go, and what would you say to him? I... I just got, I just got given this. I actually also want to know how you accidentally climb Mount Kilimanjaro, but that can be the, the next question. Um, there, there be, there's no uh, kind of, there's lots of good answers to that question. Um, one of the things I shared at the start of the session this morning would be one of the things I'd want to say, which is, what Jesus has done for us makes it safe for God to know the worst things about us. Um, that, that particularly means a lot to me at the moment. Um, so that's probably where I would start, just because that's, that's what I'm most feeling thankful for as a Christian at this moment. So the question is what, what you would say to somebody who... Two minutes of flashback. Two minutes of flashback. Right, okay. Um, you know, a lot of times I feel... I. I personally feel, and I had one of these moments just fairly recently, to, to go in the direction of um, purpose, again, kind of, I was talking about that earlier, but, you know, why do I exist? What, you know, what, what am I doing here? And 
then just to bring things around to, and you know, you can talk about this stuff from a scientific, you personally can talk about this, you know, from the scientific standpoint, but um, you know, what is, what is the meaning of life? I just, for me, before I became a Christian, that was the big question. What is the meaning of life? I was like the woman at the well, you know, um, drink this water, you'll thirst again. I was going from, you know, water spot to water spot to water spot and drinking and drinking and drinking and always walking away thirsty. So when I met Jesus, my thirst was quenched. So I just have a tendency to assume that everybody has a similar kind of thing. So I always try to just sort of make a beeline toward that particular issue there. And, and quite often, people resonate with it. And so that's usually where I go. I'd love to have a stab at this. We're, we're all evangelists up here, so we can't help it. Um, I would probably have three different ways I could go, but the one I would suggest right now would be to start with the question, do you think you matter? Does you, the person asking this question, matter? And if you're just a collection of cells here by chance with nothing more than the physical atoms in your body, why do you matter? I can tell you why you matter. You matter mm. because you've been made in the image of God. And you mattering matters to God. God actually loves you. He kept, he's got a plan for you. This conversation we're having right now was actually purposed by him because he wants you. He wants to know you. And maybe you think that you've done stuff in your life that could make you stop mattering. It could mean that you weren't lovable or weren't loved. But actually, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to demonstrate, to show God loves you. And he didn't do it by just living a great life. He did it by actually suffering and dying for you. So if you think you matter, God agrees. Everything you've done that could stop someone else loving you doesn't stop God loving you. He's making this offer through Jesus to you right now. Do you want to know him? That's my two minutes, I think. Might have gone on a bit longer. Amen. <laughs> Um, uh, it's, it's, I guess it's options and it would very much depend on the prior conversation um, because I would have hoped to have done a lot of listening in a way that as that question comes to me I'm hearing it in the context of whatever he's already shared previously um, and a few times I've been in the situation um, and the, the, the time limit was very real. Um, my consideration on one occasion was simply to share um, why you should become a Christian was because God loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's in the Bible, it's in John 3, 16 and I'd encourage you to read that and read around it and get to know Jesus. Um, because the fact that you've asked me that question suggests that God's doing something in your heart and that's gonna be the best place for you to meet him. Um, or I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. You know, they're very direct statements. 
and they're very unequivocal. And so people have to kind of wrestle with them and, and work out what am I going to do with this? What does it really mean to me? And I feel you're not going to convince someone in two minutes. So I want to provoke a, a, a sense of curiosity, of searching, a hunger to know more. And so that would be my response. Yeah. Amen.